This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's code for a special offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A Klingon coup? Lorca wants to win no matter what the cost. And, um, ew, the Klingons ate Giorgio. <laughs> Episode four of Star Trek Discovery opens up some very interesting questions and maybe even some concerns. We're going to try to get to the heart of what's happening on the USS Discovery right now. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Episode 4 of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we are so happy that you're joining us for what we know is going to be another great discussion about Star Trek Discovery. As always, this is the place to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. And tonight, it's all about Episode 4, The Butcher's Knife cares not for the lamb's cry. In addition, we're going to get our thoughts as to what we think might happen next. And most importantly, we're going to discuss what this week's episode helped us discover about our very own humanity. And just as Captain Lorca depends on Saru while on the bridge of the Discovery, so do I put all my faith and hopes into my number one here on Discovering Trek. I am so happy and proud to welcome my friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing co-host, Bill Smith. Bill, Glad to have you here as always, buddy. And this episode uh, was not what I was expecting. I have to agree with you. Thanks, Dan. What a great welcome. I appreciate that. I have to say, first off, I'm not nearly as tall as Saru. So uh, so that could be a problem. If you have a nice box I could stand on, that would go so well. But uh, there, there is a lot to unpack in episode four of Discovery for sure. Oh, lots of questions and lots of, I don't know if concerns is the right word, but stuff that I was watching and I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that we're seeing this in a Star Trek episode, but we're going to get into all of that later on. Um, I think right now though, man, you've got a very, very special guest that you want to welcome to the show. Indeed I do, my friend. I used to torment our guest this week, every weekend when I would post random and obscure screenshots to our Camp Kittimer Facebook group during my Saturday morning TOS rewatch. Listeners of Trek Geeks will recall that he joined us in our See It or Skip It on Next Generation Season 2. And today he joins us on the premier Discovery Discussion podcast. He's the host of Starbase 66 on the Simply Syndicated Network of Podcasts. I actually said that right this time. He's our great (laughs) friend, Rick Tatro. And Rick, welcome to Discovering Trek. Thank you very much, guys. It's a great pleasure to be here. I, I think I may be like one for 50 on those uh, those Trek screen caps. So, uh, <laughs> and I think that was the softball you tossed me or you actually gave me one I could identify. Every now and then, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's great to be here. This is a great time to be a Star Trek fan. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this episode with you all tonight. Oh, you said it, man. It is a great time. New Star Trek on television for the first time in 12 years. It's awesome. We are thrilled to welcome you to the podcast. And I'm sure that we're going to have some very interesting things to to say as we dissect what we just saw in episode four. Uh, But before we do that, Bill, why don't you open up a shit wide channel to let listeners know how they can get in touch with us to talk about the butcher's knife abbreviated. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And on Facebook, you can find us at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion. Leave us comments, questions, suggestions, your thoughts on the episode. We want to hear it all. Also remember, you can send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Do remember, though, that any comments you leave us may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Ladies and gentlemen, from here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode four of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode, because failure to do that, 
you are going to risk finding out plot developments and character details for the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Michael Burnham is in her quarters and about to do something she hasn't done in over six months. Put on a Starfleet uniform. She's been temporarily assigned to the science division with no rank. Tilly enters as Burnham looks at herself in a mirror. Tilly's delivering a package. When Burnham goes to open it, the computer informs her that it's the last will and testament of Captain Philippa Giorgio. Burnham shoves it under her bunk and leaves for the bridge. She encounters Saru in the turbo lift. Saru is displeased that she's aboard and that he was kept out of the loop on that decision. Burnham notices the Kelpian's threat ganglia is exposed and assures him that she is not a threat. He's not convinced. What a shock. They arrive at the bridge and it's in full combat mode. They've engaged the Klingons. Shots are traded and the discovery is destroyed. Or it would have been if this weren't a battle drill. Lorca is quite unhappy and he explains that the discovery is the only ship in Starfleet with the experimental spore drive engine. That means they can go anywhere instantaneously, but when they do, they'll be alone. There's no backup. Lorca brings Burnham to his lab. He says they need to survive and that he has a better use for Burnham's skills than working on Stamets' project. Lorca shows Burnham his collection of weapons. Some of them are the deadliest in the galaxy. He also introduces her to his latest addition, the creature from the USS Glenn. Like Lorca, it also has an aversion to light. Lorca wants Burnham to weaponize the creature, especially because what it did to the Klingons aboard the USS Glenn. Voke and Laurel are still aboard Takuvma's ship. For six months, they've been searching the debris field from the Battle at the Binary Stars for a bird of prey engine to restart their ship. Problem is, there isn't one. Laurel thinks they should take the engine from the wreckage of the Shenzhou. Voke does not want to pollute Takuvma's ship with technology from the people who killed him. Laurel has a conversation with him about the uselessness of purity and tells him to build a bridge for his people. Landry joins Burnham in Lorca's lab. She's eager to find a way to weaponize the creature, but Burnham points out that the creature resembles a microscopic organism and is likely not actually aggressive. Landry doesn't care, and she's determined to find a way to use, utilize it for Lorca's war effort. Lorca gets contacted by an admiral with a distress call. The Dilithium mining colony on Corvin II is under attack by the Klingons, and the Discovery is the only ship that has a chance at getting there if they use the spore drive. Lorca promises that they can make the jump, but when he talks to Stamets, they argue about it. Stamets can't figure out how to fully load what they brought back from the Glen, and he agrees to make some adjustments to try to make the long jump happen. Cole joins Laurel and Voke on Takuvma's ship. He apologizes for his insults before the beginning of the war. Cole wants Takuvma's ship with its cloaking technology back in the fight. Voke explains their situation, but offers the ship and the aid of House Takuvma to Cole. That really doesn't sound like it's going to go well for the son of none, now does it? The Discovery is ready to make the jump to Corvin too, and Lorca puts the ship on black alert. The creature from the Glen seems agitated as the spore drive begins to spin. Uh, literally. No, really, the ship is spinning. The Discovery makes the jump, but ends up in the gravity well of a star instead of their intended destination. They, of course, manage to break free. Burnham shows Landry that the creature reacted before the ship made the jump, and it's likely connected to the spore drive. Landry doesn't care. That seems to be her thing. That information doesn't help Lorca. In sickbay, Stamets and Lorca argue about trying to make scientific progress work in a time of war. Stamets leaves, and Lorca plays the distress calls from Corvin II for the entire ship to hear. Landry grabs one of Lorca's weapons from the collection. She fills the creature's cove with a sedative and releases it. But the creature goes berserk instead. It gets hold of Landry and mauls her. Burnham turns the lights up to full, and the creature retreats to its holding pen. Burnham then brings Landry to sick bay, but she's earned her red shirt. Lorca doesn't want Landry's death to be in vain, and he wants Burnham to get back to work now. Volk and Laurel search the Shenzhou wreckage. They locate and retrieve the Dilithium processor. Volk wonders if Laurel doubted Takuvma for naming Volk leader over her. 
Laurel says she never wanted to lead. And Volk says he's fortunate to have her. Burnham summons Saru to Lorca's lab. She feigns an apology to draw him closer to the creature and notices that his threat ganglia don't react in any way. That makes her sure that the creature is not a predator and was acting in a defensive manner. Saru is annoyed and says Burnham will fit right in with Lorca. Tilly brings a canister of spores to Burnham. Burnham opens them in the creature's containment pen and she releases the spores. And the creature reacts in a friendly manner. Aw. Burnham shows the footage from the Glenda Stamets and demonstrates that the crew was trying to contain something in the lab and not the other way around. Burnham believes the tardigrade creature found its way onto the Glen and that and that it was the means the Glen used to control the spores and achieve success with the new spore drive. Stamets and Burnham bring the creature down to the mushroom forest. The creature has a symbiotic relationship that allows it and the spores to communicate, which could make the creature useful as a navigator. Voke and Laurel return to Takuvma's ship to find the Klingons on board feasting on provisions from Cole's ship, the price of their loyalty. He is convinced that once the war is over, the Klingon houses will be at odds again, and the cloaking technology will belong to Cole. Laurel also kind of betrays Voke, siding with Cole. Or does she? The Discovery is back on black alert. They jump to Corvin 2 thanks to Ripper the Tardigrade Navigator, who has essentially been enslaved to that role, and Burnham realizes this. They find themselves in the midst of the battle with several Klingon birds of prey. The Discovery drops several large explosives to destroy the Klingon ships and then jumps away. The miners in the colony are safe, and they have no idea who saved them. Voke is abandoned on board the Shenzo to die. Thanks, Cole. Laurel teleports in behind him, and she tells him that she only betrayed him to save his life. She has a plan to show that Voke is worthy to unite the houses, and she will send him to the matriarchs of House Mokai. Burnham visits the tardigrade in the containment pen and brings him another canister of the spores. However, the creature no longer trusts her. Tilly finds Burnham in their room. She encourages Burnham to open Giorgio's will. Tilly leaves to give her privacy, and a hologram of Giorgio plays. She assumes that Burnham has her own command now. She's left her most treasured possession in order to encourage her to continue to explore the mysteries of the universe. Georgiou says she is proud of Burnham, as if she were her own daughter. Burnham opens the package to find the telescope from Georgiou's office aboard the Shenzhou. You know, Bill, as we go through these recaps every week, you just sound better and better, my friend. Well done. Excellent job, as always. Thank you. I have to say they're making it pretty easy for me to recap these things because the stories are amazing. Yeah, the stories uh, are indeed amazing. And Rick, uh, what are your first thoughts on the episode before we actually get into discussion mm-hmm. points? Did you like it? Did you not like it? You've got things, you got some questions that you want to ask. What are your thoughts, man? This was the first one of the series that I loved from the from the opening moment to the ending credits. Uh, you know, I've uh, I went into the show with an open mind uh, because I, I learned my lesson with TNG that you know, you can't expect any new Trek to be what you exactly what you want it to be. And I was one of the one of the the haters on TNG before it ever premiered. And then now I'm, you know, love it. Well, not every minute of it <laughs> from about measure of a man on. Um, and so I've tried to keep an open mind with the show and I've I've really enjoyed it. But there have been a few moments where I was like, oh, OK, we'll we'll ride along with this. I loved last night's show. Uh, you know, I watched it twice last night so that I could be prepared for this and it was not in any way an effort it was a joy to watch it two times in a row uh i love what they're doing with the klingons uh i think that a lot of the the naysaying about what's happening with the klingons i'm starting to see some some foreshadowing and i'll save my my thoughts for that for when we get to the the long range scans later but i think we're starting to see that the the worries about the klingons are unfounded in my opinion Interesting stuff. Uh, I can't help but agree. Um, I do have some things about last night's show that I found a little bit, I don't know if disturbing is the right word, but Bill, uh, before we get into discussion points, what were your thoughts overall on last night's episode? 
I have to say, I thought it was an extremely strong outing. And upon rewatch, I think it left me with more questions than answers. And I, I don't want to tip my hand too much. But I have to say that in this one episode, there was so much Star Trek and then so much anti-Star Trek that afterwards I felt like I had a bit of a conundrum going on, if that makes sense. Wow, that makes great sense. And that's a good way to put it, um, because I was thinking some uh, similar thoughts as to what was not Star Trek about this episode. And we'll get into that in a few moments. But right now, I want to start with some of the discussion points, guys. And let's start with the Klingons. Rick, you just talked about them a few minutes ago. It was a very Klingon heavy episode. We haven't seen them for a couple of uh, a couple of weeks. So it was it was good to see. Um, One of the things that I liked right off the bat is that we see Cole finally make his move and what a move it was rick yeah yeah cole well cole is you know he's of the house of core so we know he's uh, you know power hungry and probably more than a little duplicitous um i i kind of i got a kick out of his the, the way he came on board and was deferential to valk until valk turned his back basically and then uh you know what we're seeing now is a, a Klingon empire that is pretty much just an empire in name only. And it seems like it's, it's more like a, 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 a pirate Island as opposed to an organized entity. And so Cole just sweeps in and, and scoops up Vox people with the, you know, the promise of food and, and, uh, and getting the heck out of the, the badlands there or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love you know I I love what they're doing with the Klingons. I've always liked the Klingons, uh, and each iteration of them has been more interesting. I thought, although I don't think anyone has ever touched John Kolikos's core for just absolute menace. But uh, the the what we're seeing of them, they're so alien now. And uh, d- do we want to get into the icky part right away? That <laughs> <of>, uh, <laughs> they why they, not? They ate Captain Giorgio, which I've seen a lot of of uh, ew responses <laughs> online about yeah. that, and uh, I thought it was awesome uh, because it was so matter of fact the way they just sort of, you know, you weren't complaining when you were chewing the the, the skin off her smooth skull kind of thing. Uh, I think it just shows that this is a race that is very unlike anything we've encountered before. I have to agree. One of the things that, it, first of all, when that happened, I actually like looked up at my wife and I was like, did I just hear that right? <laughs> they ate her flesh? Okay. But then I started thinking, we always hear in TNG and Deep Space Nine with Klingons that they have no problem eating the heart of their victims or so forth. So it made sense, but it was a shock and awe moment to the nth degree. Do you agree, Bill? Oh, absolutely. When I first heard that, my ears really kind of perked up and I was like, Huh? <laughs> I I was stunned. And then I thought about it upon subsequent rewatches. And, you know, we do hear, like you said, Dan, about Klingons eating the hearts of their victims in some instances. But it made me wonder if this is part of the throwback to, you know, what Takuvma was trying to usher in. That sort of Klingon fundamentalism we've re- referred to in, in the past by bringing back the ways of Kalis. Perhaps this was something ancient, which is why we've never heard about it in subsequent iterations of Klingons going forward. Um, I thought it was shocking. I thought it was a great bit of depth for the Klingons in this series. And I, I got to admit, I, I'm turned out to be a Cole guy. I love Cole. <laughs> he saw there was a power vacuum. He swept in. We said, oh, what? They haven't eaten? Oh, I got food for days, yo. Let's do this. And yes. He completely took advantage of the fact that um, those Klingons needed to be led, and he brought them in. So I, um, I I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm I'm totally loving what they're doing with Call, and I can't wait to see um, how challenged he is by other Klingons. I think it's pretty safe to assume that right now he is the quote unquote bad guy, at least on the Klingon side of the house. We still have the, the, the Starfleet and Federation side of the house, which is a totally different animal. But yeah, it looks like he has cemented himself firmly in the grounds of the guy that we will love to hate, sort of like a Gul Dukat or maybe even a Kai Wynn uh, type of character. Um, 
he swooped in and made his move like you like you said and bill i want to stay with you for just a second let's talk about that swoop in and let's talk about voak and laurel she's got something up her sleeve too i think and uh it was kind of interesting to see how she played that. I could kind of tell right from the get-go that she had something plotting the way that she was uh, darting her eyes around at the time that she looked like she was, you know, going over to Cole's side. What did you make out of all of that? Well, you know, I think that Laurel is fascinating. You know, we know that she's a Klingon of two houses, and I think to some extent she's playing both of those houses against each other or at least against the middle to try to get what she wants, because I think she wants that power. She was on board the ship. Obviously, she wasn't named, you know, the successor to Takuvma and and probably wanted it to be that way, but she's kind of like Lady Macbeth, right? She can sit yes. in the shadows and orchestrate and pull strings, and there's Voke just sort of, you know, willing to go along with it, um, because ultimately he just wants to be part of the Klingon Empire as a son of none, so I think that she is I think that she is going to be quite a player, and I think that Cole is not quite sure what he's up against or doesn't know what he's up against just yet. I think it's very interesting, Rick, that at one point, Laurel made it very clear that Volk was going to have to sacrifice, quote, everything in order to get back what he had just lost. How do you read into how that all played out towards the end of the episode? Uh, I love Laurel. Um, I, you know, I, I will say I didn't for a minute think she would turned against Volk when, uh, when she, she pretended to go with, with Cole. The thing I can't figure out about her is, is she playing the long con or is she mm. really enamored of Volk as she's acting? Uh, and I think that's going to be an interesting development to see how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, she's definitely, uh, Lady Macbeth is exactly what I was thinking too. Um, she is setting Volk up for something, whether it's good or bad, uh, whether yeah. it's to his advantage or to hers or both. Uh, you know, I, for, for a minute there, I thought we were going to, we were going to, you know, see some, uh, what was it? Parmok. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. Um, you know, guys, one of the things I thought was great was I didn't expect this. It, you know, it, it took me a second to realize it. It's been six months since the battle at the binary stars. They're still there putting their ship back together. I thought that was a great um, scene when they were showing that, you know, map, that 3d map. Um, but I will say, I want to bring out something and I want to get your opinion and Rick, I'll start with you. One of the things that, I don't want to say it's bothering me about the Klingons, but it is something that I thought about for the first episode and, and neglected to bring it up uh, on episode one of Discovering Trek is I understand and I love the fact that the producers and writers of the show are having the Klingons talk in Klingon almost all of the time, barely ever see them speak English. And I think that's great. It shows the culture and the heritage and so forth. I can't help but be a little bit distracted because I'm reading at the same time that I'm trying to watch what's going on screen. Do you guys have the same problem or am I just a dummy? I don't disagree. Uh, in fact, when I watched it for the second time last night, I was trying to not read the subtitles and to, and to watch their performances. Um, I, I, I'm kind of of the same mind. I love that they're speaking Klingon. Um, and on the, on the, the Trek after show, or after track rather um, the, the executive producer. And I, I can't think of his name offhand. Um, he even said that they can, they, they had talked about maybe doing like a red October sort of thing where they, you know, zoomed mm-hmm. in on somebody's mouth and then switched to English and they decided to stay with the Klingon. And I, I, I admire the consistency with some people, with some of the actors, it works. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary Chifo, any idea? Mary Chifo, yep. Chifo. Mm-hmm. She speaks, uh, she acts through the Klingon language beautifully. Yes. Yep. Uh, others like Vok, uh, not so much. Okay. Uh, and I had a pro- that problem with Takovma too. Um, <laughs> you know, and he even said he was, you know, he had to learn it phonetically and he was having a real trouble, you know, with the, with the prosthetics and, and all of that stuff and speaking these words and acting at the same time, trying to remember all of it. Um, right. I honestly don't know what the solution would be. I would hate to see them lose that alienness. But on the other hand, yeah, reading it all the time can be a little uh, 
annoying is not really the right word, but distracting, I think. I think right. it's taking something from the performances. Okay. Bill, somebody as smart as you, did you have any trouble with that or were you uh, on the same boat? Um, I, I'm of two minds of it. There, there, I, I largely don't mind it. Um, I, I, it does force me to pay more attention during those scenes because I have to read it. But like Rick said, you know, I want to see what the actors are doing too. And I usually catch that on subsequent rewatches. I do love how it sounds though, because I think Mm. it fits the visual aesthetic. I think if they were all speaking English, it might not seem nearly as, um, as serious or like a moment that doesn't have as much gravity behind it. So I do think it adds something special. I do think it adds a, a more feature film like quality necessarily. Um, okay. I, I do wish they, they they'd maybe have a, a few more English scenes because obviously we know they can speak English because um, yeah. Dakuva did in the in the uh, episode one and two at, at various points. But uh, ultimately, I think I'm okay with it. Okay. I think you're going to get your wish next week because in the coming attractions, it looks like uh, uh, Lorella is going to be talking a lot of English to Captain Lorca. So that'll be interesting to see. Mm. Um, let's talk about the spore drive a little bit. A very interesting uh, uh, happenings last week. We finally get to see it in action. Um, before we get into the actual spore drive itself, I think that one of the things that I loved most about this episode was the discussion about the spore drive and the science behind it when Stamets stood up to Lorca in sickbay. That was amazing stuff right in front of another officer. Uh, it shows that he has some very strong feelings against what he's being forced to do. And uh, Bill, that episode or that scene in the episode stood out to me as one of the best. Without a doubt. You know, in the previous episode, I saw some complaints that people thought Stamets was kind of grouchy or irritable or standoffish. And I think it took this episode to really show me that this guy, this guy is what Starfleet's about. You know, we theorized that in the last episode of Discovering Trek a little bit, but, you know, he's, he's a scientist. He's an explorer. He doesn't want to be at war. He doesn't want to be in this position. So I understand why he's at odds with Lorca and isn't afraid to challenge him. And I thought it provided some fantastic conflict. It's one of those times yeah. where I'm psyched where, you know, the, the the legendary Roddenberry rule that people made way too big a deal of has kind of been thrown out because I love scenes mm-hmm. like that. I really do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, we're definitely not seeing that rule so far in Discovery. And Rick, speaking of the spore drive, I know that some people I've seen on on social media have had problems with, you know, this is something that is taking place before Kirk and Spock's Enterprise, and we're seeing this technology that we never saw or heard of before in any of the future iterations of Star Trek. Uh, what do you think about the spore drive so far and what we've seen? Uh, yeah, I've heard those arguments, too. Um, I've thought it myself at some points. However, uh, I think it's pretty clear that the discovery is for want of a better term, a black ops ship, uh, totally experimental. Uh, and we have now seen, uh, much like a few other episodes in different series that at least as of this point, in order for it to work, it requires the, uh, shall we be generous and say discomfort of a, of a living creature, to function. Uh, I think that is the out that they've given themselves that uh, once the war is over, then this drive will no longer be ethical to use and it will go away. That is, um, that's what we call a brilliant segue, my friend, because uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely the biggest discussion point I wanted to bring in for this week was, of course, Ripper, what they have named. I believe it's called the the, the Tardigrade, if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it correctly. Um this is where I kind of had some some moments during the episode where I was kind of, you know, holding my hands up against my chest and kind of squeezing a little bit because I was a little uncomfortable with what we were seeing. Um, you know, just a couple of basic questions, and Rick will stay with you. Is this torture? Is this slavery? Is it betrayal? All of these things. What's going on and how are we feeling about what we're seeing Ripper go through? Um, what are your thoughts on what you saw, what they were doing with this um, with this? I don't want to call creature, but as far as we know, that's what we should call it is about this creature or this being. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely all three of those things. Uh, And if we did not have uh, uh, Sonequa Martin Green's wonderful face acting during the, the whole jump scenes, uh, I would have been, I would have been totally turned off by this. It might've been a deal breaker, 
Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that she's appalled by what's happening with this animal, uh, Lorca doesn't know yet. So I don't know what his response will be, but I've got a pretty good idea. Uh, Stamets, I, I, I was talking about this with my wife tonight at dinner because I was disappointed in his reaction, but as she pointed out, he wasn't really noticing the tardigrade either. He was just psyched that his, his drive was working. Mm -hmm. uh, only Burnham was watching Ripper and seeing the agony he was in or it was in. Um, I think that the, the, the reactions to that are going to be a major, hopefully a major plot point from here on. Yeah. Out. I gotta, I gotta agree with you there. I was discussing the episode with my wife afterwards last night and I'll be honest, I haven't been able to watch it again. Um, I I've only watched it once and because it was, it was, it was a strong reaction that I had to it. And we were talking last night and she said, you know, Dan, um, nobody sees how it's reacted. We can't go on what's on the other ship's logs because they've been contaminated or they're corrupted. So nobody sees if they felt the same way or if they just didn't care and were doing the experiment anyway. And that's why it started, you know, killing everybody on board. She's the only one besides us, the viewers who have actually seen the reactions of Ripper. And I'm hoping that that plays in later. I'm scared to death that Lorca's not going to care. Um, but at the same time, I'm very hopeful. Uh, Bill, what do you think, man? I know that you're an animal lover just like I am. So uh, what do you think? Well, I'm going to go back to your original questions and answer them in order. Yes, it is torture. Yes, it is absolutely slavery. And not only is it a betrayal, but it's a betrayal of everything that Starfleet is and stands for. You know, to paraphrase Jean-Luc Picard in, um, in Star Trek Insurrection, how many life forms does it take before it's wrong? Mm. This right. is, it's horrifying. And I think that's what you see on Burnham's face. And in the midst of that moment, people are in engineering celebrating their successful jump. You know, these are people who are supposed to be what Starfleet stands for as far as we know. I have to caveat it that way because we don't know much about this crew or this captain, really. But the thing that really turned my stomach was that they were celebrating while the tardigrade mm -hmm. is there in the reaction cube suffering. And as a result, it no longer trusts Burnham because she goes back after that, tries to give it more spores. And sure. it really doesn't want much to do with her. And honestly, I can't blame it. Right. Uh, that was a gut-wrenching moment when it just backed away. And you could tell that she was hurt because she knew what she helped partake in. Yeah. Um, not only that whole scene, guys, was troublesome to me with the jump and seeing it suffering in the, in the uh, chamber, but also in the beginning in the lab with Landry. Landry didn't care what Burnham thought. Um, she just wanted the mission that Lorca assigned to them. And I thought it was interesting. I'm going to read a quote uh, from Burnham from last night's episode that I felt was very uh, strong in what we were seeing at the time. Quote, you judge the creature by its appearance and by one single incident from its past. Nothing in its biology suggests it would attack except in self-defense. Commander, the creature is an unknown alien. It can only be what it is and not what you want it to be. That was that was a great, great quote. And I wrote that down as fast as I could at the time it happened um, because it shows that she's thinking more about just the mission, which seems to be a problem that a lot of other people on the ship don't do. Rick, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, you're, you're so right. That was an awesome quote. Um, Landry was an interesting character, and I, I, it pains me to have to say was. Uh, yeah, I think Rick Rika Sharma was amazing and is amazing, and I want her to be on every show all the time. Uh, but uh, <laughs> her devotion to Lorca, uh, just because we haven't, uh, we, I, I want to say it borders on uh, inappropriate, but I, I, I would not be surprised if we find out that there was something more between the two. But I would mm -hmm. also not be surprised if it wasn't, because you know, with Lorca, I haven't got him pegged yet. But she was absolutely devoted to him. And, you know, she even said it, you know, anything you need, anytime or, you know, whatever she said in the last episode. Yes. Um, I, I think that there was more than just, uh, you know, an admiration for a commanding officer with where she was concerned. So all other priorities were rescinded in her mind. Um, yep. 
so yeah, being, being, you know, she was kind of sharing his, uh, the, the ends justify the means mindset of this creature in here is nothing more than a weapon and we need to figure out how to use it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas Burnham is looking at it as a being because, you know, she's, you know, coming from her, her Vulcan, you know, and the Vulcans for all their, their uptight uh, uh, attitudes and stuff, they are, they respect all life, whether yeah. they're polite to it or not is another <laughs> thing, but um right. And that's where she's coming from of, I need to understand this, this being not, I need to exploit this animal. And I think that's, that's the, the, the dichotomy there between Lorca and Landry and Burnham. Well, and, and I think this episode, in addition to this horrifying moment, gives all of us Trekkies a moment where we realize Star Trek is alive and well. And it's, it's the moment where they realize that the tardigrade isn't, <laughs> isn't going to attack them and only attacked before out of self-defense. You know, when they beam it into the, uh, I don't know what to call it, the mushroom garden, for want of a better word, the uh, spore land. (laughs) Um, You know, and when Stamets and Burnham are are, are observing it, that's a very, very classic Star Trek moment. And as a fan, I said to myself, oh, yeah, they get it. You know, they, they are showing us pure Star Trek fundamentals here. So there was that moment. And it was balanced out or kind of shaded out by what happened to the tardigrade afterwards. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, Bill, do you see any ethical ramifications for what we saw last night? Tons. Tons. (laughs) Good way to put it. I I mean, I I don't know any other way to put it because, you know, I saw some people online today saying, well, this isn't what Starfleet is. And I don't think it is what Starfleet is. I think it's what the discovery is. Yes. You know, um, in earlier predictions, you know, some people said uh, they thought this was Section 31. I don't think it's Section 31 anymore. I think that it's, um, I think it's along the same lines of of your standard Badmiral. I think that Lorca kind of is keeping information from both the right and left hands and is sort of plowing his own path because he's damaged. I think mm-hmm. he's really damaged, and I think that he's out to win this war for some reason we don't know yet at whatever cost, and all of the Starfleet principles that we all hold dear as fans are getting thrown out the window. Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, damaged is a good word, and based on what we saw for the coming attractions for next week, looks like he might get a little bit more damaged, uh, oh, but yeah. we'll... Uh, We'll get to that afterwards. Rick, you actually brought up something a few minutes ago when you talked about uh, uh, the death of one of the characters. So right now, we want to introduce a new part of the podcast. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Yes, it's called the Red Shirt Roll Call, folks. You know, we've <laughs> talked about on Discovery uh, we are probably going to lose people that we get attached to very quickly. Uh, we've already seen that a few times, so we figured it'd be a good idea to make this a weekly talking point. And Bill, I know that we've lost some people previously. Why don't you run through that list real quick, and then let's talk about who we lost uh, last night. Absolutely, Dan. You know, in the prior episodes, one, two, and three, we've lost some significant characters you know, characters that we've already developed an, an appreciation or even an affection for. And they include Ensign Connor, who, of course, was blown out into space when the uh, the hull of the Shenzhou was compromised. Captain Giorgio, who's herself on the, the Klingon ship. And then right after her to Kuvma at the hands of Burnham. Of course, we can't forget the prison shuttle pilot in episode three, whose tether was snapped and Oh, she went wandering off into space. Everybody else forgot her. I know. Everybody else <laughs> forgot her, including the prisoners. And then we also can't forget the guy I pointed out last week who wasn't going to make it through the episode, security dude Kelsky, who was <laughs> captured by the tardigrade, and we assume he's dead. Um, they are the ones who have gone before now, Dan, and uh, it, uh, it was rough, each and every one of them. Every one of them throughout that prison shuttle pilot. Oh, I still hold a candle to that young woman. But uh, this week was tough. I personally was a very big fan of Commander Landry. And uh, yeah, I think she's been taken from us far, far too soon. What do you think, Rick? 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I was really starting to like her character, uh, idealism and, and, uh, and ruthlessness aside. Uh, and I was, I was stunned. Uh, I had, I had kind of forgotten that we live in the, you know, this is Star Trek in the age of Game of Thrones. So, um, <laughs> although did y'all catch the, the, uh, the, the sick bay sound effects when they were yes. trying to save her life? Yes. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, speaking of sick bay, of course, we saw Landry. She didn't look too good in sick bay. I will uh, be honest. You know, we've mentioned it a little bit. There were some people online who really didn't take a liking to uh, Commander Landry. Bill, are, are you one of those people or did you like her just as much as uh, as Rick and I did? I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I didn't dislike her. I thought her character was a little one note, but I don't think we'd learned enough about Landry to figure out why she was that way. Honestly, if she were an enterprise, she probably would have been a Mako and everybody would have been fine with it. But here she was on the discovery aboard a a Starfleet vessel as a Starfleet officer. And we just didn't know enough about Landry. So I do think she's gone too soon. I, uh, I do love Rekha Sharma. She's wonderful in just about everything she's in, whether it's Battlestar Galactica or even our favorite fan production, Star Trek continues. And um, I have to say, we'll have to raise a synth hall in her honor <laughs> later on. It's too bad. I, I was I was hoping for more than just two episodes, but when we see guest starring, we know it it might be happening. But uh, rest in peace to all those fine fine people from Starfleet and from the Klingon Empire that you mentioned, Bill. Uh, as soon as we get back from this brief message, we're going to deep dive into what we thought this episode meant about our humanity. Dan, this week's episode is brought to us by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. Fansets is the place for all your collectible pin needs, whether it's Marvel, DC, Harry Potter, Firefly, or Dan, even a little show called Star Trek. Fansets Mm -hmm. has just a pan for your... Pan? Just a pan. Just a (laughs) pin for your favorite genre. Head on over to fansets.com and check out their vast library of products and accessories. Plus, Dan, I don't know if you knew this, we have an exclusive offer just for Discovering Trek listeners for this week only. At checkout, enter the code CORVAN2, that's C-O-R-V-A-N with the number two altogether. At checkout for a special 10% off your entire order. But don't wait, Dan. This code is only going to be available to use until next Sunday, October 15th, 2017 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. That is awesome, as always, Bill. Good, good stuff. So, uh, as you know, the guys and girls from Fansets just wrapped up another great convention at New York Comic Con. Uh, You know, and from what we saw on social media, us East Coasters were giving them all the love, man. (laughs) Yeah, and why not? I mean, Dan, they have so many great sets to offer. It makes perfect sense. And something else that makes perfect sense right now is subscribing to their brand new episode pins. Isn't that right? Oh, they're absolute perfection. You know, Fansets is now offering the Star Trek Discovery episode pin collection. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it's a unique pin for each of the 15 episodes of Discovery's first season, plus a special season pass pin, which is available for you to order right now at episodepins.com. So these pins are going to ship in two different sets. About four to six weeks after the ninth episode airs, the first nine episode pins in the series will go out to subscribers along with the special season pass holder pin. And then four to six weeks after the last episode of Star Trek Discovery's first season airs in 2018, the last six pins will ship. You know, dare I say, Bill, that is fan set-tastic news. Huh? Yeah? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, folks, don't delay. In order to get that special season pass pin, you must order the episode collection before midnight on October 29th, 2017. Orders after that date will still receive the 15 episodic pins, but you will not get the additional season pass pin. And again, for more details and to place your order, please head right on over to episodepins.com. Fan sets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends so much for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. You know, Star Trek has always been 
and always will be a reflection of our times. And here in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about our own humanity, or perhaps what it even tells us about ourselves. So, Rick, uh, a lot to chew on last okay. night, and I, I'm sorry for the pun. It was not. It's, it was not <laughs> planned. I, 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 I promise. Um, a lot to chew on last night. What were your thoughts on what? What did this make you think about about ourselves and about our own humanity here in present day? Well, you know, for all of the people that are are, are out there saying this isn't Trek, um, there is nothing more Star Trek than the examination of how we deal with other life forms of how we treat the, the, the least of us to put it into a more earthbound context, how the crew of discovery is treating and dealing with Ripper. And I actually, I hope they change that name because it's, it's, it, it is not appropriate as, as we have seen. And granted, sure. as you said, the rest of the crew hasn't seen that uh, the tardigrade. Um, I, it's the Horda. It's the Equinox. It's, you know, we've seen this over and over again in Star Trek, but not in a way that's just been like beating this thing into the ground. It's an examination that needs to come up over and over again. It's, it's happening now right outside our, our doors and windows at our borders. It's happening in other countries, how we treat other people or other life forms that for some reason or another, we've considered to be, uh, beneath us or of use to us, regardless of their wishes. Um, that is what speaks to how we are as a people. And that is exactly one of the main things Star Trek does a lot. And that's what this show seems to be doing. And right now it's not looking so good. Yeah, I have to agree. And, you know, that's an, that's an excellent comparison when you bring up uh, what happened on the Equinox and Voyager, as well as the Horda from TOS. Very good comparisons, man. Thumbs up. Uh, Bill, what about it? What do you got for us for humanity? Because I'm sure you've got some very, very good points. You know, I struggled with this this week, and I haven't in past episodes. It's because I think I had a hard time unpacking a lot of what happens to the uh, the Tardigrade and as I as we record this tonight, I'm holding in my hands the Federation, or sorry, the Starfleet Delta. Mm-hmm. And this one piece of, of jewelry, if you will, because it's the Discovery version, represents so much to so many of us. I have it tattooed on my body, for God's sake. It's it's a symbol. It's it it represents everything that that we hope the future holds. It's, it's the goodness and it's the humanity evolving past the way it is now. And I understand that each Star Trek is emblematic of the time in which it was produced. And this is also 100% true of Discovery. But it forces me to realize that we are so far from ever being able to use this Starfleet Delta that I hold in my hand um, that it's, it's troublesome. As I thought about the humanity in this episode, two very separate thoughts kept entering into my mind, and they are these. They're both essentially quotes. The first one is, the ends don't justify the means, not in any way. All too often in our history as humans, we take action and then attempt to justify them later because we achieved the end result we wanted, and it's never acceptable, and it's never easy. And I think that Discovery does a great job of showing us that we're still prone to this as humans. We don't want to be. We don't necessarily mean to be, but we are. And there are times when it's pretty disgusting, like it was this week on screen. And then the other one that comes to mind is, Dan, a a favorite episode of yours and mine from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And it's Inter Arma Enim Sealant Legas. In a time of war, the laws fall silent and... They do in this case because the Discovery crew is abandoning every principle that Starfleet stands for. There are always going to be those who are ready to suspend law and or common sense to achieve their outcome. And to quote the Federation president in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, just because we can do a thing does not necessarily follow that we must do that thing. We have to be better than that. In the future, we're supposed to be, but right now, we absolutely are not. Wow. Yes. Uh, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, 
This is not Gene's Star Trek. We talked about this before the show aired. And it's not going to be Gene's Star Trek, but damn it, it is Star Trek. And I think that they're balancing um, one end of the spectrum with another, and they're doing it in a way that makes us have these kind of discussions, and it's and it's really great. You know, I hate that we as humans seem to never be able to look past outward appearances. And this was so evident with Landry, with the quote that I read earlier from Burnham. You know, she wanted to handle the creature a certain way, and she was basing it on how the creature looked. Just because it looks like a monster and has done things that could be deemed as bad, she's not willing to pass to look past that and see if there's more to it while Burnham was. And, you know, it's unfortunate. We see that all too often today and how we treat people that may have mistake, may have mistake, made mistakes in the past. And, you know, they've paid their debts to society and they're always and forever labeled. And it, it, I've seen it firsthand and, and it really makes me sad. That's one point I wanted to bring out. And the other was, I touched on this briefly as well. Also um, treatment of animals. Uh, I am an avid animal lover. I have two rescue dogs. I know that Bill has a rescue dog as well. And Ripper may not be an animal, quote unquote. For all we know, it's a sentient and extremely intelligent being. But for right now, we're seeing as an animal of sorts. And as that avid lover of animals, it was disgusting to me to see how it got treated. And as we talked about, we're the ones seeing that treatment, not necessarily the crew of the Discovery yet. But, you know... Is this how humans in the future are going to deal with desperate times like war, slavery, imprisonment of a creature that it knows nothing about? It really is sickening, and I hope it's not going to happen as Discovery unfolds into its entire season. So um, a lot of things to think about with this week's episode, and um, some of them are really, really tough to, uh, to stay with. But that's what's great about Star Trek, and that's why this show is Star Trek, is we can't it it it's forcing us to look at the ugliness inside ourselves and not just you know i know a lot of people are saying i can't let my children watch this but you know back in the 60s tos dealt with issues that nobody wanted to see and the censors were always worrying about the violence and the and the the, the messages that were going out uh tng you know ended its first season with a you know a comical now we look at the effects but still pretty horrific death of a crew member who was infected when they phasered him and it exploded um ds9 didn't shy away from tough issues Hmm. voyager tried sometimes got it right sometimes um you know this is star trek star trek is not always going to be happy uh you know going back to eden yay brother it's got a if we're not examining everything about ourselves then what's the point you know rick we reach we really do um (laughs) You know, I've said something now for several months that has not gained me any friends inside Star Trek fandom, and I'm happy to repeat it here. I've said it on Trek Geeks. I've said it a number of places online, and it's this. Those people who don't see the Star Trek in this series don't want to see the Star Trek in this series because it's there. It's been there since day one. There is that hope for the future. There is that humanity. But... You know, there are th- sometimes we hold that mirror up to ourselves. We don't like the reflection it shows us. And I think that's true of what's going on with Discovery right now. Dan, you said it best. This is Star Trek, damn it. And it's damn good. I, uh, I don't think I could say it any better, my friend. And uh, yeah, another great discussion about humanity this week. And uh, I can't wait to see what next week is going to bring. But for right now, it is time for our weekly Starfleet Commendations. So uh, what I want you to do, Rick, is I want you to talk about one, two or three different things that you want to specifically call out in this episode that you really loved, whether it be characters, performances or scenes, just brief call outs and and we'll hit on them really quick and see if any of us had the same thing. Okay. Um, My first call out, and I've already mentioned her once, uh, is to Mary Chifo as Laurel, because she managed to not only be uh, conversational with the language, Uh, and give a great performance, she has pulled off something no other actor in the Klingons has done yet, and that was subtlety. She was able to put forth a subtle performance through all of that makeup, and I was was enthralled by her every move, and I'm I'm sure that I I honestly don't know what she looks like without the makeup. Uh, I'm sure she's, you know, quite lovely, but as alien as she looks, she was, I was 
totally riveted by every word and every motion she made. Um, so big, big shout out to her. Um, when, and, and I know that the, you know, we, we've talked about how reprehensible the spore drive is, but the first time the ship saucer started spinning, <laughs> I, I, I may have said a bad word in excitement. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just like the first time I saw Voyager's nacelles uh, pivot up and lock before she goes into warp, uh, I just I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and the and the last shout out goes to Jeff Russo for the music on this show. It is just yeah. incredible. Uh, I, it 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 never intrudes on the scene, but it counterpoints everything that's going on so beautifully uh, that I just I I love it. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. And I got to say one thing that I wanted to point out, uh, Mary Chifo is, is absolutely stunning uh, outside of makeup. I'll say I had the opportunity to see her uh, in Hollywood a few weeks ago. And um, the other thing is her eyes when she's in Klingon makeup, she has eyes that just, you can tell, you can just watch her eyes and not even have the volume up and you can get an idea of what she's saying. I thought that was, that was very well done also. Um, for me, I'm, I, I touched upon this earlier. I, I sick bay on the discovery. Oh man. Was I happy to finally see sick bay and hear sick bay lovely call outs to TOS. And I got to say those uniforms are spectacular and it was great to finally see Wilson Cruz on screen as Dr. Culber. I think he's going to be great, but Oh boy, did that look like a badly broken nose? I got to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Cole. Oh boy what a scumbag this guy is. And I mean that in the best way possible. He totally manipulated Volk uh, when he showed up. And then when Volk was away, he swoops in and just takes over. It was, it was very devious and smart. It, it kind of was Galron politics times 10. And I was sitting there smiling when it happened. I thought it was brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliantly done. And uh, the third thing I'm going to call out is Stamets and Lorca. That scene that we talked about earlier between uh, the two of them and the disdain that Stamets has for the captain and what he's forcing his crew to do, knowing that it already killed an entire crew on the Glen. Great, great job by those guys. These two are, are really great characters, and I think it's going to be fun to watch what happens with them as the show goes forward. Bill, what do you think? What do you got for commendations, man? Well, you know, like the two of you, I've got some Klingon call-outs. I'm not going to lie. I love the Klingons. There is some really amazing world-building and devious stuff going on here. I can't wait to see how it plays out. And in particular, I want to call out Cole. I, I'm Team Cole, baby, all the way. I love this character. <laughs> Kudos to Ken Mitchell for his portrayal and just how badass Cole really is. This is turning out to be one of my favorite Klingons in the history of Klingons. And then Laurel. I have to say, I love Mary Chifo, and I love the Shakespearean quality of Laurel. There is so much to this character, and we have just barely gotten to know her so far. I think this is going to be a really interesting ride. And then I know I'm cheating a little bit with a fourth thing, but I know oh. the producer of this show, and I'm going to take <laughs> some liberties. Um, I want to call out the writers. And give them a special commendation. Dan, we know that they've listened to this podcast in the past. They've let mm -hmm. us know. And I want to thank them for the work they're putting into these stories and this arc that they're building because it's fantastic. And as a fan, it's something I've been waiting for for a long time. So kudos to them for writing scripts that engage and, and create these great conversations because that's the heart of Star Trek right there. One of the things I love about the writers is that they are fans. They have said they're fans. They have invested so much into this because they love the genre just like we do. And we're seeing it with every single episode so far. They are investing all their time and energy into putting out a product that we as super fans are going to love. And I will allow the commendation based on that, sir. Don't overstep your boundaries, though, next week, okay? Fair enough, sir. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Long-range scan of planet complete. So here we are. 
it is time to uh, look at our long-range scanners, and let's get some predictions for what we think is going to happen either next week with Episode 5 or maybe further along down in the season. So uh, let's start with you, Bill. Um, you just had some great uh, stuff to say. What do you think? What's going to happen next? Well, you know, Dan, a couple of weeks ago in Discovering Trek, I said that there may be a guy behind the guy, if you'll remember that prediction. Mm-hmm. And I think that guy behind the guy might actually be a woman. Um, <laughs> I think she's been the power behind Takuvma. I'm talking about Laurel, of course. And I think she's going to assert herself very, very soon, probably to the dismay of Call, my boy, and <laughs> perhaps to his peril. That's my prediction. Oh, oh Wow. A little uh, something for the red shot, red shirt, red shot. Okay, that was good. The red shirt roll call later down the road, perhaps. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, Rick, what do you think? Next week, later on down the season, what do you got? Uh, I'm not not sure when, um, but also my my prediction has to do with Laurel as well. Uh, I think that the sacrifice of everything that she mentions to Valk at the end of the episode. I think that that may have some, not, not just be a matter of ideological sacrifice or, uh, well, he doesn't have anything, any like house or standing or anything. I think this may be some sort of step towards the Klingons we're familiar with. There may actually be a physical transformation in line for, for Valk. Interesting. Okay. I like that. Um, well, for me, for my prediction, um, not necessarily for next week, uh, I mentioned it earlier and I'll bring it up again. This whole Lorca Stamets uh, headbutting, I think, is really going to boil over at some point and something very interesting is going to happen. I don't know what it is, but, it, uh, you know, I w- I'm not throwing anything out the window at this point. It could be dire. But you don't just keep dressing down your captain, especially this particular captain, in front of other officers like Stamets has done when in engineering a couple weeks ago or whether in sickbay this week without being some kind of ramification for doing it. Something's going to happen, and I'm a little scared about what it might be. I got to agree with you. I, uh, it's yeah. n- something's going to come to a head very soon. Yeah. Well, Dan, this week our friends at FanSense, they want to give away – Another glorious set of discovery pins, if you can believe that. And Dan, it's so easy to enter this contest. All you need is a Twitter account, and you could win some awesome fan sets merchandise, my friend. Absolutely. This week, in addition to the entire Series 1 set of discovery pins, huh, this is great. Fansets is going to throw in an exclusive New York Comic Con only pin. This pin is a gorgeous representation of the Discovery Delta with the USS Discovery in the middle of it. And in addition, the words Star Trek Discovery NYCC 2017 are seen along the left side of the Delta. It is absolutely gorgeous, and it was a convention exclusive. It's not available anymore, but it can be yours by simply entering our contest. Dan, all you need to do is go to our page on Twitter, at Discovering Trek. There you're going to see a pinned tweet with a picture of the pins available for this week's giveaway. Simply retweet it and use the hashtag WinThesePins. It is just that simple. Everyone who retweets our tweet and uses that special hashtag that Bill just mentioned will automatically be entered to win and will announce the winner during next week's show. Once again, hashtag WinThesePins. And as always, we thank Fansets for sponsoring today's episode. So, Bill, uh, we're through four episodes already of both Star Trek Discovery and Discovering Trek. It's kind of cool that the numbers are kind of going coincide with each other. So that's pretty cool. We got some good stuff coming up next week, too, I think, man. We do. Dan, next time on Discovering Trek, we're going to take a look at Star Trek Discovery's fifth episode, Choose Your Pain. And joining us to break down the episode will be the chief himself. Ken Tripp from Trek FM Standard Orbit is going to beam in to talk about the developments in next week's episode and what humanity we might discover in it. Really looking forward to it. Plus, Dan, don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast by searching for Discovering Trek on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. 
And for those of you on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, we truly would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. That will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Dan. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it as always. And Rick, got to thank you so much for joining us to discuss some great Star Trek. Uh, Before we let you go, where can folks find you on social media and anywhere else on all those internets out there? Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, my shows are over at simplysyndicated.com and I'm on pretty much all of them <laughs> lately. Um, but uh, my main show is Starbase 66 there. It's a Star Trek and genre fiction podcast and we have fun talking about all kinds of other stuff. Um, you can find me on Facebook at um, oh, what is my Facebook name? <laughs> it's uh, uh, Rick Whitgar Tatro. That's T E T R A U L T. And uh, I'm always up for a conversation there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, adm.marius, Admiral Marius on Twitter. And uh, I check in on there from time to time. And I'd love to talk to anyone about anything, but mostly I love talking about Star Trek. As do we, my friend. Great to have you here. Thank you so much. And Bill, thank you as always for joining me uh, this week. Uh, That's it for episode four, my friends. And until next episode, from my perspective, I think this quote from Captain James T. Kirk in Gamesters of Triskelion sums up the last episode of Star Trek Discovery perfectly. A species that enslaves other beings is hardly superior, mentally or otherwise. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.